the new series, How Do I Know, I just really want to take a month to give you some, really these are, these are truths that can help you be clear about why you know what you know about your faith. Um, I believe, and Brandon related to it this morning, he actually uh, said it multiple times in the, in the morning uh, worship time, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. Um, probably most everybody here believes that, but I know some Christians who struggle with that belief. Um, they wrestle with it, and it's because there's... Now, watch me close. Because there's science, okay, that sort of pushes away from that. Well, I'm going to kind of expose some of that with you today, and I want you to just turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1-1. shouldn't be hard to find. It's the first book, first chapter, first verse. Genesis 1-1. And Genesis 1-1 simply says these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how do I know is the title of this series. I'm going to tell you how I know. When I was a little bitty boy, my mama told me that was true. And I mean, she was clear as a bell. This is how the world was created, son. In the beginning, God created the world. And she gave me a Bible, and she told me that the Bible, everything the Bible says is true. And if it's in the Bible, it's absolutely true. And uh, I was raised in a family with a real strong faith. My mother's faith was rock solid. And uh, so I grew up in that faith. And, uh, and then I learned as I got older, well, God is a spirit. He's invisible. Um, and uh, so to some people, the, the belief that I grew up with, that there is this God that made all this, sounds a little bit preposterous. And I went to a sort of an uppity educational school system, eventually ended up at University Military School and a whole bunch of eggheads there. Uh, that really began to say that's not exactly how it works. Um, that's your religion, and that's some mythological faith that you have based on ancient, uh, undocumented history. Next week we're covering the documentation for the history, by the way. Um, but based on ancient, undocumented history, but science says this. And I, I sat in school, in high school, um, even though I was taught as a child without any question, and everybody in my family... All my aunts and uncles, all my friends, all my everybody in my family believed in the beginning God. But then I get to this school where most everybody there had been under some strong teaching in science, under what, what I would call evolutionary science teaching, uh, and it wrecked my thinking. I've shared with you the testimony. When this church was still in Pritchard on uh, Turner Road, and I was in high school, uh, probably junior high, um, I just got rattled one night at my house uh, about all this, and, and my brother Lynn came over, uh, and his wife at that time, Kathy, came over, and uh, I was bawling my eyes out as a little kid because the teachings that I was studying and having to memorize in high school completely conflicted with what I'd been brought to believe all my life. And so they brought me, eventually my brother took me to the pastor of this church, David J. Jones, founding pastor of Northside. Took me to the church, and I sat in his office, and we had a long talk. I don't think he shared anything I'm going to share with you. I wish he would have, but I don't think he shared any of this um, because he, he had a way of just helping me understand our faith is solid, and he had a confidence in his faith that let me settle back. But then I still had to wrestle with some of that. I went away to... Uh, oh, and you can put up that... Uh, this is the charts that kind of... Remember, remember when you were in elementary or high school... Uh, junior high and senior high, and they'd teach you all these layers of the geological uh, strata and all that. And, and uh, you know, the, the further down you go, eventually you turn into, eventually there's nothing. 
Um, that's what I was studying. I was me- having to memorize all those big words. I remember trying to be so clear because we got counted off in my high school for spelling. I don't think they do that anymore. <laughs> Um, but we got counted off for spelling. So I remember trying to think, how am I going to spell? i got to memorize and spell all those words and get them on the chart right and all that stuff. We had to study all that. And that, that, that geological thing right there just wrecked me for a while. Because it didn't line up with what I was taught. Um, and, and so it took me a while to, to, to just put the, I put the two apart from each other. And I said, okay, somewhere along the way this is going to come better clear to me. When I was in Bible college, um, I took a class at University of Alabama called Life on Earth, and it was an evolutionary, an evolution class. The professor's name was Dr. Fadigen. When he walked into the room, our first class, this is exactly what he said. And we're going to talk, by the way, your handout only has a few blanks at the very end. So I made it real easy. I know it's a lot of information, but I wanted you to have the information without having to chase it around all day. And I'm going to fly, as you can tell. So but Dr. Fadage, my professor, here's what he said when he walked into the room. He had this armload of papers, handouts for us. It was a two-week cram term, so we got to get everything done in two weeks. And he walks into this giant armload of papers, missed the desk with them. When he put them down, they, they, the top part slid out, so the whole thing ended up in the floor in this giant pile. And he said a whole bunch of swear words. I'd been in Christian schools and Bible colleges for most of my life. I'd never heard a professor use that language. It was blowing my mind. I'm sitting there watching him going, wow, he is not of the faith. <laughs> and uh, he said a whole bunch of swear words. And then he said, look, I'm going to make this real clear. He said, evolution is a fact. It's been proven in a science lab. It's scientific fact. No one in this class is going to talk to me about some creator, some mythological way that, that it all happened, that you think it happened because your parents told you. Well, I'm sitting there going, my parents did tell me. That's me. He's talking about me. But the truth is, he was solidly convinced so as a good Bible college student, I sat there, got my grades, talked to him a lot about, about a lot of things. I've told you some of that story. It's a pretty amazing story at the end that he ultimately admits his science has as much faith as my faith does. That's how we, we eventually got to that point. But Dr. Fadage, he just spoke of billions and billions of years and layers and layers of strata that showed that life began with a single cell organism and it progressed layer by layer until eventually you have mankind. And it just all was clear to him. I remember sitting in a class with a whole bunch of students, most of them doctors uh, and nurses, taking this cram class so they can just get it over with real quick. And they're just ooing and on over all this amazing stuff. And I'm ooing, but it's not the ooh-ah moment, it's the ooh. <laughs> this is a terrible way for doctors to begin to believe that life just somehow happened, that it's some chance stance. But I had to figure out, eventually, I had to fi- go, I've got to figure this all out. And why does science conflict with truth to me? The truth of the Bible is true. And how in the world would science conflict with that? And uh, so today, I just want to spend a little time with you and debunk what I learned in high school. Um, I, want to, I want to help you understand today um, that there are some research that's been done recently that actually pushed a whole bunch of scientists completely out of their minds. I'm going to show you how out of the minds they get eventually, um, how crazy they get to avoid seeing God in, in creation. Um, but many people today, um, many scientists today, have had to go back to say, hmm, none of that's accurate. None of what we were standing on. So what Dr. Fadage was standing on when he said it's been proven in a laboratory, I'm going to expose that to you. 
Um, and uh, it, it's a 1953 study done by a guy named Stanley Miller. Um, he did what is now called this famous project called the Origin of Life Experiment. This is actually the beaker that he used. The, the, he designed this glass thing and made all, had all that made for himself. And he puts in a whole bunch of gases that in 1953, everybody believed was part of the formula of the early earth. Uh, methane, ammonia, hydrogen, and water vapor, by the way. Where did all that come from? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If, if methane and hydrogen and all that was there, who made that? So I'm just saying that the guys that have to try to, he's trying to create life, okay? He's trying to make life right there. And uh, so he puts all that in there and then he shocks it with electricity and after a while, he found in the bottom of his beaker, okay, there were these things called amino acids, the building blocks of life, amino acids. Wow. Good job, buddy. Okay, now, here's, there's a couple problems. First of all, nobody can take amino acids and leave them alone long enough for them to ever do anything but be amino acids, okay? Even though they're the building blocks of life, they're just the building blocks of life. They don't assemble themselves they don't make life when you leave them alone. They just sit there, right? Second problem is about three years after this dramatic experiment that everybody in science began to stand on. Say, ah, it can happen if all the right elements are there and electricity and all the things could happen, then you can have the building blocks of life. All the scientists began to stand on it, but in the background... And very few people, I never heard this till recently, till 10 years ago when I started researching myself. But in the background, three years after this guy did his research, geochemists came along and said, those weren't the elements in, in the early um, Earth. They could not have been because hydrogen, one of them, is too light. And there's no gravity to hold it there, so the gravity can't hold hydrogen down, so there could be no hydrogen. And a matter of fact, ammonia couldn't be there. They said, here's the only chemicals that could actually be there, so they changed the chemical compound, um, and, and the, they said the only ones that could be there would be carbon dioxide, nitrogen, and water vapor. So the scientists, in the background, quietly, began to create the exact same experiment with just those elements. Shocking it, shocking it. You know, it's the Frankenstein thing. Our life, I've created life. No, they did not. They couldn't even get the amino acids anymore. Okay, so once they put the proper elements in there, nothing happened. I mean, not even salt crystals, nothing. Nothing happened. And so for years, this whole process has been debunked. But it's what, and I'm telling a bunch of you youth, when you go to high school and your teacher stands on the fact that it was proven in a scientific lab, evolution is a fact. They're talking about that, and that was completely debunked a few years later, and today is completely off the charts. There, nobody even considers it possible, um, what that guy did, to be anything to do with, with uh, the origin of life or the beginning of life on earth or any of that. So, but then you, you, you fast forward the time frame a little while, and you have... Uh, you have People trying to figure out, well, if that didn't do it, and then they start saying these things. Well, it was, it was biological seeding. You know what that is? Biological seeding? That's the outer space guys. They come in on a little, you know, come in a little spaceship, little Martians, and they put, you know, people on the earth or seeds of people on the earth, and they leave and they watch from a distance. It's that makes good scientific sense since there's no evidence of it anywhere, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, the scientists had to take this giant leap to go, huh? That could, well, if that didn't happen, then, you know, now there has to be some other deal. Well, of course, I always ask those people, and I've had a lot of discussions with 
especially college students on campuses who, who want to just completely unravel the God moment of this creation. And, and I always ask them, so where did the Martians come from? They're like, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, that's a problem you should solve. If you, if you believe the origin of life was Martians or you know, people from other universes, where did they come from? You know, eventually you back yourself into a corner and go, I don't know. That's the right answer, by the way, is I don't know, except when you begin to understand a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. So some scientists today suggest that there's evidence, that the evidence of science clearly shows there's no such thing as God. Some scientists suggest there's no such thing as God. Okay? I want to tell you that I believe science is always catching up to God. It's always catching. The more technology we, we uh, can hold, get a hold of as, as scientists and research, the deeper our research goes, the more God you're going to see in science. And that's exactly what I'm going to prove to you today in, in three different categories. So science and faith, Dr. Uh, Cohen, professor of ecology and evolution at the University of Chicago, says science and faith are fundamentally incompatible. Uh, science helps religion only by disproving its claims. He's talking about Christianity. Science can disprove Christianity. I'm going to show you today, no it can't. Okay, I appreciate this guy. He's got a PhD, probably way smarter than I'll ever be and can talk circles around me. But he has no idea what he's talking about. If you put science with creation, you can't go where he goes. And you'll see a bunch of that today. So I'm going to show you some scientific and logical evidence that Genesis 1.1... Our faith stands on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to show you some scientific evidence that that is true. It's not just true, plausible, but it's true. And it's going to help you secure your faith. So, and I've boiled it down to some real simple, uh, basic things. We're going to look at cosmology, not cosmetology, by the way. <laughs> just so you know, I'm not even good with that. But cosmology, uh, physics, and biology. Those are the three categories we're going to look at and consider... How do we know there, there is a God, there is a creator, uh, God, that God is our creator? How do we know there is God and a creator of all this that we exist in? And you're going to see it crystal clear um, as we look at that. So cosmology is the study of the origin of the universe. Um, it's asking the question, where did the whole universe come from? Pretty big question, by the way. Okay? You might ask where your car came from. You know, Ford, Chevy, you know, Honda Place, wherever it came from. Where did the universe come from? Much bigger question. And in the last 20 years, technological advances have helped us look at the universe with more understanding than ever before. And many things that used to seem, now you'll figure this out if you're my age, many things that used to seem like science fiction are no longer science fiction. When I was a little bitty kid, there would be these TV shows with science fiction movies on, black and white sci-fi movies. And they would take a, a piece of meat or something, they would stick it in a box and shut it and press a button and open it and eat it, you know, on the spaceship. That's how they did it. You'd be like, wow, that's amazing. And then when I had babies, we would stick their, you know, bottle in the microwave and press a button and boom, there it come out, you know. And you'd be like, hey, that's amazing. But it's right out of science fiction. I mean, all this, I mean, Brandon can answer his watch now. His watch, you know, and his phone are linked together. He can talk to his watch. All that science fiction stuff kind of catches up eventually. So science fiction has always been uh, running kind of alongside of what is cra sort of crazy thinking, but then eventually 
we kind of get there. Well, I'm going to show you some amazing stuff that, that has caught up with that. The early ancient times of Greeks and Egyptians and Chinese, all the philosophers and the scientists, the astronomers of that day, they believed the universe was eternal. They actually believed that the universe was just what they called static energy. And the best way I can picture it for you, it was just a frame hanging there that everything else worked inside of. It's literally like the frame of a picture or the frame of your TV and everything inside it may be doing things, but the universe itself was just hanging there, static. It had always been there. It had always would be there. It was eternal, and, and, uh, and it, didn't, it didn't have an existence beginning or anything like that. And for many, they believed that it was unchanging. So, but in 1915, a very brilliant guy by the name of Albert Einstein, with his theory of relativity, he came up with this plan, and it challenged it, E equals mc squared, he challenged that, and his equation says that the energy in the cosmos, in our universe, is either expanding or diminishing. And he actually says, the law of entropy and all these cool physics laws, he actually says that um, he believed that the, earth, the, the universe is expanding. Now, I want to tell you, it's interesting, because a few years after he said that, mathematically, he proved it to everybody, then he began to doubt his own math, Okay. But, but what was weird about that is he was right. He was actually right. And it took several people to help him catch up to that. His equations said the cosmos and the universe was not static, but it was expanding. And then in 1920, a guy came along, uh, Dr. George Lemaitre. And you want to look this guy up. Kendall, he's the guy I was talking to you about on the phone last night. He's a Catholic monsignor who took Einstein's theory pulled the math out of that, put it into the universe, and said, here's what he said, hey, the universe is actually really expanding. I mean, it's the, the stars and everything, if you do it mathematically, he looked at it and said, it's expanding. And if you, then he said, but if you were to rewind all that, now think about this, if everything's expanding and you rewind it, it all comes back to one thing called a singularity. That's the new fun phrase that people throw around in their science movies now. Uh, a singularity. I think we, we decided Spock uses that at one point in, in one of the Star Trek movies, which I love. Um, but it's, it's this one singular place where all the energy of all the universes is joined in one place. It's in one place. That's if you rewind it, right? So that's what this guy created. Now, you know what that's called when that explodes and creates Earth. What do they eventually call that? The Big Bang Theory. This guy, a Catholic priest, now he never called it the Big Bang. Somebody else gave it that catchy title later. But he's the guy that came up with it. It's interesting to me that he was, he was a devout Catholic. Um, and he just said it all came back to one point of reference. Now, we're going to talk about that. Again, a bunch of us were taught this in school. But I want you to just picture a sphere of stars around the church and us being the, let's pretend for once we're in the center of the universe, okay? Some of you think you are, but you're not. But let's pretend we're in the center of the universe, right? And, and the, the whole star system, star field around us is, is a sphere. We're inside the very center of the sphere, and the stars are there, and they're at every level. There's, there's stars just above our roof line. There's stars 100 yards high, 1,000 yards, 10 million miles away. There's just trillions and trillions and trillions of stars all around us, and we're, but we're in the very center. So if all the theories being true... If the earth is, if the universe is expanding, those stars are gradually, gradually moving away from us, right? 
And that's actually true. They are. So then you begin to go, well, what if we rewind the tape? If we back everything back up to zero and just keep rewinding it, you come out with all the stars not moving away from you. All the stars aren't moving away from you, but they're coming back to you. And when they get very all combined in one little teeny tiny place, then all the mass and all the energy and all the matter of the whole universe literally could fit in the center of your hand in the center of this room. That's called singularity, okay? And they believe that's how create... By the way, they believe by research now, because uh, Hubble, the, the guy that invented the Hubble telescope, the guy the Hubble telescope was named after, um, Edwin Hubble began studying through the telescopes, the giant telescopes out in Los Angeles. He began studying the universe and charting them. And he's like, you know what? The stars are moving away from us. The ones that are further away are moving faster than the ones closer, which means we're in a sphere and it's all slowly expanding. It's exactly right. All good science, right? And then it all comes back to one singularity. One singularity. You know what that singularity is called in the Bible? In the beginning, God created. He burst light and universes into existence. Just one spoken word. He did that. Now scientists, of course, just rewind it back to that center place where there's this singularity. By the way, they've done some research um, uh, that cosmic microwaves that they can now research out in space is called, has what's called background radiation. And in the last 20 years, they've figured out that the background radiation in our universe is fading away slowly. Slowly fading away. Meaning the universe was once very strong, and then it was created, birthed, and now, that, now it's all fading away. So science is actually catching up to what I believe is Genesis 1-1. Now they're going to call it the Big Bang. I'm going to help you understand how that's absolutely nuts right here. Okay? Because the Big Bang... Is, takes way more faith, way more faith than you could ever imagine. So there's philosophical implications of this. The, the point that we were trying to make is the finite, the, the earth is finite. There was a point in time when the universe started. That's the whole point of all those scientists and everybody, that it, that it had a beginning. When Einstein figured that out, when everybody else figured that out, there's just this beginning place. Now we got to go, well... Who began that? I mean, who was in charge of that? <laughs> if there's a beginning, so, so what happens philosophically, and you have to go to philosophy now, and every, every scientist eventually has to, because you weren't there. Nobody observed it. Nobody took notes. You know, only God wrote down the notes for us, by the way. So if you're of faith, you got the notes. But if, you weren't, if you're a scientist and you weren't there, you've got to have some logical reasoning to go with it now. So they jump over to philosophy and, uh, and, the, and they say, all right, what are the implications of the truth that we're expanding? And at one, at one time we were all in this singular one energy. What are the implications of that? And there's this great, by the way, no scientist really rejects any of this. No real scientist today rejects anything I'm telling you. They agree we're expanding. They agree we once were all centered in one energy place. And they also agree with Kalam's cosmological argument. That just sounds so impressive when I say that. Kalam's cosmological argument. And there's just three simple points to it. Put them all up, Josh. Whatever begins to exist has to have a cause. So the universe began to exist. So the universe, this is a philosophical argument that scientists cannot refute. Okay, they cannot refute it. Um, the universe has a cause 
of its existence. It's finite. The universe isn't infinite. In other words, there wasn't a frame that everything was hanging on. There was nothing. Listen, the scientists of today figured out at one point there was nothing. And then out of nothing, something happened. And they say, well, that's a cause. Something had to cause that. Now, here's what they also say. If you could just go logical, whatever caused the universe has to be uncaused. Because there's a whole thing in philosophy where you can't have a loop of a loop of a loop of a loop. So something that caused it has to be uncaused. It also has to be immaterial because nothing was there. So whatever else caused it has to be um, eternal because it created time and was before time. Right? has to be eternal. Then they say, this is scientists. Then they say, it also must be extremely intelligent to create what we have today. To create a universe, it has to be extremely intelligent. Whatever caused it has to be extremely powerful. It has to be more powerful than the star of any solar system. You know the power of a sun and a star? Scientists are, say this. Whatever caused that moment has to be more powerful than that. So that's omni, there's omnipresence, omnipotence. There's all the attributes of God. There's all the attributes of God. Scientists have figured out there had to be something really amazing that started all this. Then they have what's called Occam's razor theory. I love this. I thought it was something about shaving, but it's not. Um, and his theory, uh, I can't read the Latin when anybody want to try it, you can, but it says entities should not be multiplied beyond necessity. Uh, and I love this. It actually says the simplest solution is always the best one. Isn't that true? The simplest solution is always the best one. So philosophers had said, look, we can get very complex in how this all started, but what if we just actually boil it down to what's the simplest way to look at it? Pastor Stan's version of that, it says, don't make things more complicated than necessary. I'll tell you all that as church members all the time. We'll start a committee of a committee of a committee. I go, whoa, hey, don't make things more complicated than they need to be. Let's just get a bunch of friends together and try to help each other. We'll form a team. We'll get it done, and we're done. We don't have to have a committee of a committee of a committee that has to respond. But don't do all that, right? That's Occam's razor theory, by the way. So the simplest deal. Now, when you put all that together with Occam's theory, it literally says there had to be one person of great power that created everything. That's literally what scientists agree to and then they go, but we don't believe in God, so it couldn't be him, right? It's amazing to me how they can get all the way there. Um, let me just give you three quotes. A couple, one of them, I think, appears in your notes today. The chain of events leading to man's uh, commence suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of energy and light. So in a flash of energy and light is when the chain of events that created man exists. Now, this is an astronomer, not a believer, by the way. It's an astronomer that says that. It kind of sounds like the Big Bang Theory. Um, but it's actually the God-created truth. We cannot understand the universe. Alan uh, Sandage, a cosmologist, says, We cannot understand the universe in any clear way without some supernatural. Just can't. Okay, and I'm going to show you that time and time again today. Um, and then I like this one very much, uh, Edmund Whitaker. There is no ground for supposing that matter and energy existed before and were suddenly galvanized into action. It is simpler, Occam's theory, it is simpler to postulate creation ex nihilo, divine will constituting nature from nothing. Ex nihilo means from nothing. It's easier to say 
there was some divine force that acted on nothing and made something. This is a scientist going, huh, now that we've really looked at it, it makes more sense to do it this way. And it actually does mathematically. Psalm 102, verse 25. I love this verse. This is what actually is true. In the beginning, you, God, laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. God is eternal. And He created the earth and the universe that we know, that we can study ourselves. He created it, and it's slowly expanding. And one day, He's gonna, it's not going to exist, but He will exist because He is eternal. So cosmology points very clearly that in the beginning God created something of great power that's omnipotent and omnipresent and powerful did that. Now I want to show you the second uh, reasoning today. It's called just through physics. And some of you in your science classes, when you get into your physics classes, they're going to talk to you about all these laws. Physics is just packed with laws. I love this class in high school, by the way. But it's packed with laws. In the last 50 years... Uh, science has exposed that life is balanced, life on earth, through the laws of physics, life on earth is balanced on a razor's edge. It is so critical, everything about our existence, the amount of oxygen in our atmosphere, the amount of sunlight that comes to the earth, the amount of sunlight that's blocked from the earth by the gravitational forces around the earth, um, everything in our, uh, everything they study says, we literally live on a razor's edge. And there's that great quote by Dr. Robert Collins. Uh, the law of physics are balanced on a knife's edge for life to occur. And all I want to show you is just through a couple of things in physics. Okay, Just a couple of things I want you to know how delicate um, life is. Now there's this whole list. Josh, I think we made a slide of a list of laws. Yeah, there you go. There's a ton more of these. I didn't have room for all of them. But there's about 40 major categories of physics laws, gravitational laws, nuclear force laws, electromagnetic forces, speed of light. Some of you that are nerds are just eating this up, I know. Strong and weak nuclear forces. Some of you are going to sleep. Kendall, wake up. So strong and nuclear, weak nuclear forces, proton masses, electron masses, co cosmological constant. We're going to talk about that. And mass density of the universe. All these are laws in our, in our universe that scientists have discovered. And they're absolutely unbreakable laws. I mean, the, the law of gravity... If you, you fall off a ladder, you're not going up. You're going down, right? The law of gravity works every single time. And all these laws are that way. Gravity pulls matter together. And so there's no way to have complex organisms on our earth without gravity holding it together. But strong, and strong nuclear forces hold atoms together. But then there also has to be a weak nuclear force to give those atoms a chance to multiply. Um, and there will be no chemistry possible without strong and weak nuclear forces. Electromagnetic forces in your list. There's no bonding between chemicals without electromagnetic forces, which means you'd literally have no chemical makeup, therefore there'd be no light, no anything. Um, so you have to have all that in, in precise numbers. And when I say precise, I'm going to use some numbers that makes our... National debt looked like nothing today, okay? So i give you some precise numbers here. So let me give you three miracles of physics. The first miracle of physics is the force of gravity. How did our gravity on Earth get set? How did our gravity on Earth get set? I want you to just think about that in your head for a minute. 
you can think about it, by the way, forever, and you'll never come up with an answer other than, in the beginning, God. Um, and the scientists can't figure out how it got set, because here's how delicate it is. Um, one of the guys, that uh, Lee Strobel, has a book called Case for Creation. A lot of this comes out of there. There's Robbie Zacharias, has a bunch of research I've used, and uh, Josh McDowell has a bunch of research. So all three of those guys, if you want their names later, I'll give them to you. They're really good to have. And when you're in science classes, you can destroy your science teachers. Not that you want to do that because um, you need a good grade, but you can just destroy their thinking if they're stuck in this past thinking. But here's how delicate gravity is. If you take a ruler and stretch it from one end of our universe to the other, universe, okay, not the solar system, that's nine little planets. I'm talking about outside of our universe, all through the other galaxies, to the ends of our known universe. Take a ruler, make it that long. Okay, and mark it in inches. That's a whole bunch of inches, by the way, because it's measured in light years. I don't even know, but you know, Kurt's going to do the math for you. Next week we'll know how many inches that would be. But anyway, it's an astronomical amount of inches, right? You can imagine how many inches it is from one end of our universe to the other. If you, let's just say this is somewhere in the, the part of our ruler that we want to study, okay, that goes from our universe. Let's say this is part of our ruler and it's marked in inches. And the gravitational force on Earth for us to live is right here. This is our, this is our little mark, one inch. They literally say if you move the gravitational force one inch on a ruler that extends from one end of the universe to the other, if it moves one inch, no life exists on Earth. That's how delicate the gravitational force laws are on our planet, right? If one inch is changed, we're done. Life cannot exist as we know it. Um, what they call cognitive thinking life would no longer exist. They said, hey, you could have... You might could have amoebas living there, but one inch either way, and you lose the ability to have life on Earth. So, so gravity itself says, in our study of physics, gravity itself is just an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Um, the second miracle of physics is what's called the cosmological constant. Now, that's how fast our universe is expanding. Remember, we talked about it expanding. Albert Einstein and all those really intelligent guys figured all that out. Uh, Mr. Hubble and all those guys, Edwin Hubble. So it's expanding, yay for us. Well, how fast is it expanding? Well, let me tell you how important how fast it's expanding is. It has to expand at exactly the right amount or we all die. Just that fast, we all die. It has to expand at exactly the right amount. How precise does that have to be? It's in your notes, by the way. It's one in 100 million, billion, 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 billion. Okay? That number right there is how precise... The expansion of the universe has to be for us to be able to live in it while it's expanding. And you think that's an accident? You think that just accidentally occurred? Not a chance. Not a can't chance. Matter of fact, they say it's, it's, this is how precise it is. That scientists try to come up with ways to make because that number is a little bit outside your... I mean, most of your bank accounts don't look anything like that. Without, well, mine's got all the zeros, but not the other parts, Right? Right? So we don't know what that number is. It's too big. But they said, here's the chance of it. Here's what the chance of it is. If you could go to the moon, stand on the moon, and throw a dart at a dartboard at Northside Bible Church. We put a dartboard on the roof. And the bullseye of the dartboard is the size of an atom, not a circle. If the bullseye is the size of an atom... The chances of you throwing a dart from the moon to, and hitting an atom that you were aiming at 
That's the chance right there that's, that's listed for us. That's how complicated the cosmological constant is, right? And yet these scientists, when they're figuring all that out, go, man, this is almost impossible. This is impossible. The only thing that can explain it, the only thing that can explain it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He knew how to fit all this together. He knew the math to make it all work. He knew exactly what to do. So how did it become this fine-tuned? Um, how did it become this fine-tuned? Well, the old theory was chance. The old theory was, it, it, it's just, you know, you just roll the dice and it's, it's a chance that you have to take. So they've updated the theory. You know what the new theory is? Multiple chances. Okay? And they're literally saying there's multiple universes out there. They're saying what, what actually, in order for us to have all of this come together and work right, we were one of bazillions of universes that exploded, Big Bang, that exploded, and there has to be trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of universes, and one of them, finally, all of these physics laws finally worked out just right. All of the numbers got just right. The, you know, the one to the billion to the trillion to the trillion. All that got just exactly right in the, in the trillionth of the trillionth of the trillionth chance, and it made this working planet we call Earth. That's what they're saying. Okay, so I'm going to show you what that means. And I need, I'm going to have to borrow two volunteers. Uh, Brandon, you're close, so I'm going to get you to come help me. This is Lego, so they're kind of fun. <laughs> All right. Jenna, will you come up and help me with the other one? This is, this is exactly what they're saying. Now, uh, this is a, let's do this one first. Jenna, I'm going to let you do this one. This is a box of Legos. Now, amazingly enough, when I bought this box, the Legos come in uh, groups now. Like there's, there's ones for the Minecraft. There's ones for uh, the Star Wars movies. has a bunch of them out. There's superhero themes. The theme of this one is called Creator. Creator. Isn't that cool? I found that. It has uh, 65 pieces in it. And it can make those same 65 pieces can either make a Jeep, a dune buggy, or a four-wheeler. Same pieces used for each one, right? Okay, now... Inside here, there's instructions, right? We'll take those out. And there's 65 pieces of Legos. 65 pieces of Legos. Now, I'm going to ask Jenna to shake that and check it to see if they're assembled. There's, there's three possibilities on this box. If you don't hold it right there, you're going to scatter them everywhere. So just shake it real good. All right, just check. That's good, that's good. That's one trillion right there. Just check it real quick. Anybody think they're assembled? Anybody? Come on. No? Let's check it one more time. Come on. Oh, by the way, I took the plastic out. You know, they're wrapped in plastic, but plastic's bad for the environment, so I thought we'd just take that out and it might be better. So here's what the scientists say. If you shake this enough, enough. This is science. If you shake this enough, you're eventually going to make one of those cars in there. Okay? So I thought, well, that's never going to work, so I bought another one. This is Brandon's size. This is for the little kitty version. Okay? And it only has 14 pieces. And just out of interest, it's called Animal Planet. Okay? It's the knockoff of the Legos. Uh, Animal Planet Roar. <laughs> and it has a bear and an uh, elephant and a monkey and some bananas. I thought, well, that's kind of creationish. Right? So I took the plastic out of here as well. 
but I left the instructions in because I thought maybe they needed the instructions over there, right? So we got the instructions and the deal. And Brandon's going to shake that and make it all fall together, right? <clears throat> all he has to do is shake it trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of times for it to work. Is that science to you? Or is that just, okay, I've got this crazy idea. That's really all it boils down to. Well, that's what the scientists are saying. By the way, you can give those away at the end, Brandon. <clears throat> this, uh, but that's why I put bag of Legos up here. You can take your kids' Legos now and teach them how crazy people think about the creation of the universe. It just happened. We just shook the universe enough till it all fell into place like that. The chances of that based on physics are completely impossible. Um, astrobiologists say that we need at least 20 factors. Really, they say now 40, but if you go back to the, uh, some original science, 20 factors are necessary for our planet to support life. And the mind-boggling fact of that 20 factors coming together is another one of those numbers. Some of y'all probably remember recently with the lottery, you had a chance of winning the lottery of one, one to the whatever millionth it was or whatever, remember? Okay, so there's, if you put 15, it's one one-thousandth of one trillionth. That's a fraction. One over one. There you go. He did it for me. I thought you didn't do that. Good for you. That's the chance, okay? That's the chance of all the factors necessary for life on Earth, oxygen-rich atmosphere, magnetic pulls just right, a, a moon that orbits at just the right distance to keep the tilt of our um, axis just right. All of those factors that have to take place physically, physics-wise, if you just take 20 of them, that's the chance of 20 of them happening, right? But, of course, it just happened. I mean, you just shake it enough. You know, you stir up your Legos enough, and they're going to... So when your kids get Legos for Christmas now, say, hey, I'm not putting that together. You just shake the box. You know, yeah, it'll take you a year, but keep shaking. It'll come on, son. You can hit it, Right? It's kind of nuts. So let's do one more real quick. Biology. Biology. Now, I'm not even going to teach this. I, I, I taught this year, several years ago, and it's a blast for me. But this is a flagellum, and inside every cell of your body, one of these machines exists. It's called a flagellum, and you need to look it up on the Internet. You actually can uh, look at uh, Lee Strobel's page and he'll, there's some really cool graphics of all this. I didn't take time to put that out for you. But inside every one of our cells, there's a, a, there's a protozoan they literally say has... Now, look, look at the list of the parts here. This will sound familiar to you mechanical folks. It has a drive shaft, a bushing, a stator, a rotor, a switch regulator. It's actually got cytoplasmic membranes that help it run. It's got all that stuff inside one individual cell in your body. There's trillions of these inside your body, by the way. And when scientists finally stopped studying the universe and started studying individual cells, you know what they found? There's a whole universe inside a cell. And there's motors. They literally call them motors inside every single cell. There are these motors running. And they go, how does that work like that? And I'm telling you, they cannot, they cannot figure out um, it has what's called, Michael Behe did a great study on this, and it's called irreducible complexity. It's like you can't have life without having all that fall together exactly like that in every single cell. Every single cell has to have those, there's 40 working parts to a flagellum. You have to have 40 working parts exactly like that. Now, some of you are mechanics and work on cars. When one part goes bad, the whole thing doesn't work. 
when one part of a flagellum quits working, the cell dies, people die, right? So for you to be sitting here alive, there's millions and millions of working motors inside of you making all that work that scientists really can't even describe how that happened. So last note of the day. I want to ask you a nerd question, and Josh is not allowed to answer it because he does my notes for me. But here's a nerd question for all my nerds out there. Um, our recently... The advance in technology has pushed the data collection like crazy. I remember my very first computer, um, it, it didn't even have floppy disk, okay? It, it, the computer itself was the storage deal and it holds 64K, 64K, 1K, not a MK, not a GK, just a K. Okay, it's a little Apple II, Apple 3C or something like that. Okay? Then I got another computer that, that had big, fat, floppy disk. And you could store lots of data on those big, fat, floppy disks. Then we went to little square floppy disks. Remember those? They weren't floppy, but they were floppy inside the disk. But they called them floppy disks anyway. Remember those? We went to those little square ones, right? Then we went to CDs. And now we have thumb drives. And you can get a thumb drive that will hold more information than all of my computers I've ever owned in one time. You can buy a thumb drive at Walmart that will hold all the information that's been on all my computers I've ever owned. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So what is the most impressive data storage, most efficient data storage system in the entire universe? Anybody know what the most efficient one is? Robbie's pointing to his brain. Okay. It's not your brain. It's, it's DNA. It's DNA. It's in every single cell in your body. So in your notes now, this part you've got to fill in. Okay, DNA is the most efficient storage information system ever understood on our planet. We think we've got it made pretty cool with our computers and all the technology advances. No. So here's what, here's what DNA does. Okay, There's a hundred trillion cells in your body. If you take one cell and uncoil the DNA in one cell, it's six feet tall. One cell in your body has a six-foot strand of DNA in it. Okay, You uncoil it and it's six foot long. Um, it's six-foot strand of information that spells out all the information of how the rest of your cells are going to function together. So DNA is actually a coded message. It's information. It uses four-letter chemicals that are alphabetical to spell out assembly instructions for all the amino acids. Remember the guy that made the amino acids in the bottom of the cup? DNA gives the amino acids the instructions in our body so they can be organized into the proteins and the parts of our body. Everybody has watched Jurassic Park at least once and you see the dino DNA guy and you know the, all the information and all that kind of stuff. So, so here's the deal. If you were trying to read, if you took one strand of DNA from one cell of your body, one strand from one cell, six foot long, and you had the ability to actually read it like it was a book, it would take you 31 years reading night and day nonstop at a steady pace to read all the information in one cell, right? All the information in one cell. So every single cell of your body has an enormous amount of instructional, directional information of how it all works, right? Pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, that's an amazing fact. You go, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, listen, nature can produce patterns, patterns. If you saw this on the beach, this right here, what would that tell you about that beach? That's caused by one of two things. Anybody? Wind caused that. And if you get down closer to the water and it looks that way where the water is, what caused that? 
water. And it makes lots of cool patterns, and people take pictures of them, make lots of money selling their pictures to people, okay? Because nature causes patterns. And you can see patterns all through nature, right? But if you were walking down the beach and you saw that, okay, you would not think that somehow the ocean was saying, hey, Adam and Ruth, we want you all to get together like you'd have your wedding here at the beach. That's not what that is at all. That's somebody, some intelligent being, okay, that can spell, wrote two names in the sand. Because when you see information, it points to intelligence every single time. Information points to intelligence. Do you understand how that works? So in every single cell of your body, there's information that would take you 31 years, night and day to read. In every single cell, the 100 trillion cells in your body, there's that much information. Now, information points to what? Intelligence. Intelligence. It's why when the microbiologists start studying individual cells, they all eventually say, this is divine. This is their quotes all the time. This is divine. This is supernatural. This could only be something from a God. That's how they say it, right? And we just go, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 139, a couple of verses to wind out your day with. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I promise you, the harder science digs into the way a person's body works, the more God they're going to find. That's just the way it's going to work. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's just amazing, isn't it? Psalm 19. I'm going back to our cosmology. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Listen. Day after day, the heavens are speaking to scientists. Speaking to scientists. Night after night, they display their knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There's no voice that goes out on all the earth. Their words are to the end of the world. Now, Robert Boyle, who was the father of modern chemistry, said, from a knowledge of God's work, we will know Him. Well, God's work is all around us. It's in our stars. It's in our DNA. It's in our bodies. It's all around our life. By the way, before we look at our last verse, the ability of man to discover the universe, its beauty and power, is a very suspicious thing to me. How did we figure all this out? Why, why does our atmosphere of our planet have a clear dome of air around it? Why can we see through our atmosphere when all the other planets, a lot of the other planets we look at, you can't see through them? Saturn, rings, lots of other planets, lots of other solar systems where we look at them, I mean, there's too much debris to actually see into space and see. When we have a solar and lunar eclipse and it blocks out all those rays and scientists can actually take readings like they've never taken before during those moments. And by the way, those are, those are timed. 
so we can predict when they're going to happen and get all our instruments pointed out into space to do just what we want to do. You think that's an accident that God said, huh, I'm going to make theirs clear and everybody else's not clear. I mean, in truth, God literally wants us. He wants us to discover Him. Listen to what it says. Here's our conclusion. God loves to reveal Himself to us, by the way, through science. He loves to. So some of you young people that love science, I'm asking you to go out and become the discoverer of God in science. That's all you got to do is just go discover God in science because they're not incompatible. The more science really digs into what truth is, the more reality we see. Romans chapter 1. While I'm reading this verse, we are going to sing that last song. If you guys want to come up, let's do How Great Is Our God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God's made it plain. Now, how did God make himself plain? Well, here's how he did it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... Remember I told you, my mom told me, in the beginning God created. And I went, but wait, God's invisible. How do you know? The invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The DNA in your cells, the flagellum in you, the... the the cosmological constant that keeps us alive, the balance of gravity, all of that stuff says only God could do it. And why did he do it? So that we can understand him. And you don't have an excuse, by the way. You don't have an excuse. These egghead scientists that, that keep going, hey, just shake it some more. Come on, just shake it some more. Because I know it's going to happen because I don't want to believe in God. That would make me accountable to somebody. That would make there be a divine being with greater power than me. And I want to be the center of my universe. Don't you be that guy. You believe in the God who created because all through the Bible, by the way, next week we're going to talk about how we know the Bible is accurate. We're going to talk about the accuracy of the Bible in the beginning of our How Do I Know series. So, but using, using Scripture, we can see God created. But you can actually use science to say there has to be a divine, intelligent creator behind every bit of this. And it cannot happen circumstantially or happenstance. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads together. I'll pray and then we're going to sing. Father, I sure love you today. I thank you for your kindness and your grace. I thank you that you made the world visible to us. You let us see stars and planets and galaxies. And you let Edwin Hubble see the galaxies moving away and Albert Einstein figure out the formulas uh, behind the expanse of our universe. Lord, you taught scientists to look into our individual cells and see incredible things that you created in us. So, Lord, I pray we would never, ever not just declare you to be great and majestic and powerful and awesome. You are the awesome creator of all life and the sustainer of our life, and you gave us Jesus Christ to give us eternal life. So we celebrate these things in his name. All God's people said, amen. Stand with us and we'll sing a closing song.